Good morning, Creekside. Uh, I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. I am so just honored to be here with you guys. It's uh, my second week back from sabbatical, and I do not take for granted just being with you guys. It's a beautiful thing. I'm still uh, rested and energized for at least a little bit longer, so enjoy it while you can before life just... No, just kidding. I'm, I'm going to be fine forever. Okay, so um, uh, have we all had a chance to go see Barbie yet? Uh, okay, all right. Uh, I know better than to recommend a movie to you, but, um, but I, you know, having two daughters, I can get away with a lot on the, in this realm, so have, have definitely seen Barbie. And Barbie is, um, without, I won't give away anything that's not in, uh, in the preview, okay, but it's, uh, it takes place in Barbie land, which, uh, come to find out, is really modeled after the Garden of Eden, okay? So it is, um, it is a very uh, biblically uh, set movie, okay? Okay. Uh, in that it's kind of wrestling with the Garden of Eden. And the Garden of Eden, like Barbie Land is perfect. It's the, it's the garden as, as God intended it to be until something goes wrong, right? And there's a problem in paradise in the garden. And so Barbie, some of the Barbies actually have to go into the real world. And so they're these travelers from like one dimension, one world, and they travel into another and, and come to get help to come back in. But also then uh, people from the real world are going into uh, Barbie Land and they're coming to help. But it turns out like, who's helping who and who needs help in which world. Okay, that's literally all I want to say about the Barbie movie. Um, uh, as, I'm, as I'm, you know, watching the movie and the, the preposterous nature of a um, plastic uh, kid's doll uh, coming and walking into a real world, it, it's uh, this morning we begin the Gospel of Mark. And the Gospel of Mark begins honestly like just as improbably, if not even more so than the Barbie movie does because um, it is... Our world, our real world, the world that we live in and work in now, 2,000 years ago, the premise of the book of Mark is that one day, 2,000 years ago, into the real world that we live in came in someone that does not belong, someone that shouldn't be able to get in, someone that walks in, and who that person is that walks in, obviously it's Jesus, but it is ultimately God himself, the creator of it all, the one that sits above it all, the one that, the one that made everything and is all-powerful and all-wise and all-knowing, all, like everything about who God is. And then the creation that he made, he should not be able to simply step into the story. You would not expect him to be the one walking into that story um, and changing. But that's exactly what we see with Mark. We're seeing a world where, um, and, and, and so similar to, I guess, Barbie land, um, the kingdom of Israel. This is a story that comes to the kingdom of Israel at a moment of peril, of tor turmoil, of trouble. There's something wrong, and they're, and they're saying, okay, who can come and fix this broken kingdom that we live in? And, and we expand that out, and we look at our entire world. Our entire world really was meant to be sort of like the Garden of Eden, where God made a place for human beings to flourish and to thrive and to follow him and live according to his design and his rule. And in the midst of it, as the book of Mark starts, we see that the, the world as a whole is in this troubled place and wondering who can come and walk into this world and bring the like healing and peace that we need. The Gospel of Mark answers for us, like if we, if we ever wonder, okay, what would it look like for God himself to enter into the story? What would it look like for God to be human like any of us? The Gospel of Mark answers it. And the beauty of this gospel, as it walks through and it shows what it was like for God to enter the story, is you see on every page people are not expecting what they find. You know, if, if God were to walk in here right now, I would not expect him to do the things that Jesus does. That's what people are having to wrestle with. And so the invitation for us is we get to see, okay, what would it look like for God to enter our world? We get a picture of that now. 
What, what are my expectations about what he would do and who he would be? We get to encounter that along with all of these characters in the book. Now, I want to start here. We're going to spend... We're going to spend a year in the Gospel of Mark, okay? So, like, uh, you know, clear your calendars. This is where we're going to be for a while if you stick with us. Um, but it's a, it's a step at a time, and I want us to kind of set the, the background. So the, the end of uh, the Old Testament, when you, if you're reading through the Old Testament, at least in our English Bibles, you come, and the last book is Malachi, and the last words in the book of Malachi, the words with which the Old Testament ends are, are these. Behold... I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Now, it's very on brand for the Old Testament to end with the words utter destruction, okay? That feels like, yeah. Uh, but it's beautiful that it's ending with this, um, this promise, right? It's like God's saying, I'm going I'm to come back. I'm going to turn the hearts of children of their fathers. I'm going to repair the broken relationships. And he's saying, I'm going to do it by sending the prophet Elijah to you, and I'm going to begin to act. Because the Old Testament is a, it's a story, a bad story. It's bad news sitting there waiting for a good ending. It's, it's a dead end. So Israel was supposed to be God's people. They were supposed to solve all the problems in the world because here's God's law. Here's how you live. I'll live in the midst of you, God's saying to them. Um, you, can, you can worship me, and I will um, be your God. I'll guide you through all this. So it should have worked out. The problem is Israel was uh, full of human beings, just like all of us. And so they derailed again and again and again. And finally, when you come to the end of Malachi, it's just like you guys have, have utterly messed this up. They're, they're taken out of their kingdom. They're in exile, and they're there. And, but it ends with this word of hope. I'm going to send Elijah the prophet, and I'm going to turn these hearts around, and I'm going to begin to work in this whole thing in this day of the Lord that includes judgment, but also a lot of uh, grace as God is going to work. Those are the last words of the, the Old Testament. Then you get 400 years in which God is silent. There's no revelation coming. Like we're, we're wondering like what is God going to do? So, so think about year after year, generation after generation, century after century, God's people are sitting there and this is the last thing they've heard. Okay, God's going to send Elijah to us. Uh, Elijah was that, that prophet that like God sent to his people to call them back to say, repent, um, come back to me. God gave uh, Elijah these miraculous things to do, but like all the prophets, Elijah was this, um, this sort of a nag. I mean, he was coming in and just, hey, what you're doing is wrong. Turn back to the Lord. It's not going to go well for you. God says, I'm going to send him again. 400 years of silence. And then we get uh, a, a weird, unusual character on the scenes, John the Baptist, who breaks the silence of this 400 years. He's sent by God, and he shows up in the wilderness. This is where the Gospel of Mark picks up. Um, and so here's how this whole gospel begins in verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. One of the things I love about Mark's gospel other than obviously the title of it is fantastic, um, is, uh, is the fact that he just doesn't like waste words. He's just like to the point. So here we are. This is the beginning of the gospel. The gospel means good news. So here we are, and there's this world that's in trouble, but, but he's saying, okay, here's how this good news begins. So, so picture yourself, you're watching the news, and, um, and I don't know what's on the news when you flick it on, but I'm, I know for sure that it's bad news, right? It's fires somewhere, it's wars somewhere, it's, it's climate changing somewhere, like whatever it is, it's always bad news. And it's always been bad news all the time. They don't make money off of good news, and we wouldn't care even if they did. There's so much bad news, and, and this is, you know, 
Israel, if they had news back then, would be turning on. It'd be bad news, bad news. So finally, just imagine you're sitting at home, you turn on the news, and all of a sudden it's good news, right? Um, the climate's fine, you guys. Everything is perfectly fine. Um, there are fires. Like, we figured out how to not have fires anymore. This is incredible, you know? Like, all the wars in the world have stopped. Imagine turning on the news, and it's like everything is suddenly good news. Um, I don't think we'd know what to do with that if it was the case. But here is Israel, a, a story, a bad story, a story that keeps going wrong, a people that keep finding themselves surrounded by bad news. And here is um, the beginning of the good news, the gospel of Jesus that is going to be announced to them. It's a new story that we're getting with Mark. These people had not heard the story, but what's beautiful about it is he starts this new story by pointing at this old story. He quotes the prophet Isaiah. So he looks back into the Old Testament, and he's saying, this is, this is what was being talked about. This is what the old story was saying was going to happen. So it's a new story. It's good news, but it's actually still old news. Um, there, there's this, um, that, that, that phrase, good news, is used seven times in the last uh, 26 chapters of Isaiah. That last chunk from chapters 40 to 66 of Isaiah is, is God saying, okay, yes, there's all this judgment because you projected me. There's all this pain. There's all this exile you're going to experience, but I am going to do a good thing. There's going to be good news coming, and people are going to be proclaiming it. People are going to be bringing it. So seven times echoing through that last part of Isaiah, he talks about the good news. The scholar Sharon Dowd, a biblical scholar, she says that basically the story of Mark is the uh, unfolding interpretation of the gospel according to Isaiah. I love the way she pictures that. I, Mark's starting right off the bat, hey, this is just what Isaiah was talking about. And she says the whole rest of the story that we're going to sit in for this year is unfolding. Like, yeah, this is the gospel that Isaiah talked about. This is the good news, the culmination of this old story. Now, the way Mark ties the old story in to the new one is a little bit creative. So he says, the, uh, it's written in the Isaiah the prophet, and then he puts this quote. Well, what you find, if you turn to the, the reference, your Bible will probably give you a little reference for where that is. It's from Isaiah 40. Um, but what you find is he actually is, he's sneaking in a couple of other references there as well. So he actually um, does quote Isaiah here, but he also sneaks in a little quotation from the book of Exodus, and he sneaks in a little quotation from the book of Malachi. So this is what it looks like. In Exodus, God's people had just come out of slavery. They're led. They're on their way to the promised land. They're in the wilderness with God. And he's talking to them. He says, behold, I'm going to send a messenger before you to guard you on the way and bring you to the place I've prepared. Malachi then, at the very end of the Old Testament. So Exodus is the beginning as God's people are being formed. Malachi is at the end of it all. At right, right at the end of the Old Testament. Behold, I'm going to send my messenger. He's going to prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Uh, uh, Mark, in writing this, says, look, this is what we're told. Takes those two and kind of uh, fits them together, and that becomes verse 2. Uh, and then he says, uh, quotes Isaiah in Isaiah 40, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight a desert highway for our God. Uh, Mark is taking these quotes, these pieces from all over the Old Testament, and he's saying, this is it. This is what God was always going to do. This, this ties together all these themes. Like God, in, in, in working with his people, is going to prepare a messenger that is going to prepare a way. This messenger is going to come and say, here it is. Here's the way. And it's as old as the Exodus itself when, when Israel was first becoming a nation. It's, it's as old as like the end of it all when they had fall to, fallen apart and, and came up with the same words again. I'm going to send a messenger. He's going to prepare the way. And, and then Isaiah calling out. There's this voice in the wilderness that's going to say, prepare the way of the Lord. Now, here's something interesting about this. So one is the, the Exodus, okay? The Exodus is a story that Israel told again and again and again. The, the, the Exodus was, we were in slavery, we had no hope, 
We cried out to God, and God came, and he led us out of slavery. He, he took us through the Red Sea miraculously when the waters were parted, led us through that Red Sea, led us through the wilderness, and into the promised land. So there's this beautiful picture of this is what it looks like for God to redeem us. As he comes to us when we're enslaved, he sets us free, took us through the water and, and through the wilderness, and we became his people. There's that beautiful picture of the Exodus. I love that Mark ties in a little bit of Exodus history into the story because what we're going to hear throughout the book of Mark is echoes from the Exodus. There's a new Exodus. There's this new leading out of slavery that God is doing, and he leads that charge with Jesus, and we're going to see what it means and what it looks like. But the other interesting thing here is he's saying prepare the way of the Lord. If you look on the Isaiah side down there, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Do you see how Lord is in all caps? Um, what that means is that's how our English translators are trying to tell us when it says Lord, the actual word is Yahweh. Yahweh was like the name of God, like not his title, but his name. It comes basically from when God speaking to Moses said, I am that I am. That's my name. And, and so Yahweh is like that name for God. It was so personal of a name for God that it's all throughout the Old Testament, but the scribes later would not write out Yahweh. And so they would, they would do, um, they would do the, the letters for Yahweh, but they would do the vowels for Lord. And so we, we in, um, in our English Bibles have it, Lord, all caps. So in Isaiah, he's saying there's going to be this way that is prepared for Yahweh. Yahweh is coming. Like the God of Israel is coming and he's working. And then when Mark quotes Isaiah, he says, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Who is the way being prepared for? We're going to see as we go through that when he says Lord, he's referring to Jesus, which is Totally blasphemy. If you, if you are, if you are a, an Israelite, as, as um, all of the original followers of Jesus were, if you were an Israelite, and you, and you referred to Jesus as the Lord, a human being as Yahweh himself, that is a big problem. But we see they do it again and again and again. Picking an Old Testament prophecy about Yahweh coming to his people and saying, yeah, this is it. They're preparing the way for Jesus. He is the one that's coming. He is the Lord, um, which means they're equating him with Yahweh himself. It's incredible. Also, though, he's, he's told that we saw in verse 1 that this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So Jesus Christ, the word Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. He's the Messiah. He's the coming human leader the, the, from the kingly line of David. The Messiah is going to be the one that comes, the human being that comes and leads us back to God. That's what the Messiah is. So he's a human figure, Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God. When we think Son of God, we think of divine, but, but actually from Psalm 2, from 2 Samuel 7, the, the title Son of God refers to, again, this uh, human Messiah figure. So all, all he's doing is saying, here comes the human king that is going to lead us, and he also, though, equates him with Yahweh himself, God and man, uh, divine and human. This is the mystery of who Jesus is, and what we'll find is everybody's wrestling with it. Every page of the Gospel of Mark, everybody's wrestling, is he is he human or is he God? And we find them wrestling. We get the invitation to wrestle with it along with him. So the call is prepare a straight path for Yahweh. He's coming, make his path straight. What does that look like for us? We, we uh, Laura and I got to vacation with the girls uh, in Sequoia National Park. And if you've ever been there, it's this like massive bit of land. It's, it's just incredibly beautiful, beautiful scenes. Uh, the biggest trees in the world are there. It's incredible. Um, and, and mileage-wise, you can get from one end. We started at the south end of the park, and we went to the north end of the park. You can, mileage-wise, get there not that many miles to travel. But it takes hours to do it. 
because that park was not built for cars, okay? It was built by God to be mountains and trees, and someone was like, let's make it so that we can get through it with a car, but you are just winding. I mean, switchbacks for days, it was, it, was, um, it was rough, okay? It was beautiful, but it is not meant for cars. So you can get there, right? But it's not a straight path, okay? If you, if you want to make the path straight, it's like, okay, God is coming, his kingdom is coming. Let's not make it this windy path. We're like, yeah, I mean, technically God could get here if he wanted to. You know, a lot of switchbacks, but he could do it. It's going to take you several hours. You could do it. It's saying let's get a straight path for him to come. Let's make something that's conducive to the coming of the Lord. Let's make ready so that when his kingdom comes, it actually feels like it fits here. Um, and obviously here, maybe in our society, but more than that, um, Jesus himself taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer we're praying, Lord, your kingdom come, which he explains, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying that God's will would be done on earth in the same way that his will is done in heaven. So we're asking the Lord, pre prepare my heart. Like, make, make my heart a place where your will is done. Make my spheres of influence a place where your will is done. I think this idea of making straight paths is saying, okay, the Lord is coming. He's about to work. He's about to do something. And I'm going to prepare myself so that when he comes, the will of God, what he wants to do, his reign is going to fit. It's going to have a home here. It's going to make sense here in my life, in, my, in our spheres of influence, in our church family. We want it to be like that straight path of like, yeah, Lord, let's come. And when you come, let's not waste time on the switchbacks. Let's just get to this thing that you're wanting to do. So here's the proclamation. Here's how we're being told to get ready is um, there's this voice that's going to come and shout. And who is going to come and shout it? We find in the next verse, it is John the Baptist. Very bizarre figure, but I, I love the guy. Okay, so verse 4. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So he's baptizing people, and this baptism that John is giving, he's, he's John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, he's baptizing, and his baptism was all about, it says repentance, it says confession of sins, and it says the forgiveness of sins. So repentance is all about like a change of your mind. Um, that's literally what the term means. So you're, you're coming into it one way, and you repent, you're saying, no, I, I need to stop thinking like that, I'm going to start thinking it this way, viewing things this way. So there's a change involved in repentance. A confession of our sins means you're, you're, you're owning up to your sins. It's saying like, yes, I have, uh, I have uh, gone against God's law. I've gone against his commands. I've gone against his ways. I am fighting against the way that God designed things. So there's a confession of saying, yes, like I acknowledge um, I was wrong. Um, I, I've, I've sinned. I'm a sinner. So you're confessing that. And then the forgiveness that he's talking about, the forgiveness of sins means God's going to come into this whole thing and this whole mess of, of Israel's sin and humanity's sin, and he's going to come and he's going to offer forgiveness of our sins, forgive our sins so that we're ready uh, to receive the grace of God. We'll find out so much more about what all those things look like throughout the Gospel of Mark, but this baptism is an opening up of ourselves for repentance, for confession, and receiving the forgiveness of our sins. All of that is like the picture of a new start. We're being invited, the, the people of Israel and us as, as uh, journeyers along the way in that are being given a new start, an opportunity to start again this whole thing. It, it basically means like these people came into it um, and, they, and when you come out to be baptized, you're saying like, hey, everything I've tried hasn't worked and so I'm ready for a fresh start. I'm ready to repent, I'm ready to change, I'm ready to confess that I've been on the wrong path and I'm ready to start on the, 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 this new path. It's, it's like an appeal to somebody outside of yourself. My life has been a dead end. All the things I've tried are a dead end. I'm ready for something new uh, to come in from outside of me. 
And so here's what they're being called to do. John appears and he's baptizing people. Hey, let's start again. Let's lay it down. Let's take our hands off this whole thing. Let's give up what we've been trying and let's start something new. And for us, as I like sit here and I'm, I'm wrestling with the gospel of Mark and we're in these first couple of verses here, the first few sentences of the whole thing, I just, I, I think of us and I think, let's hear John's words. Let's hear this preparation of saying, let's start this gospel um, in a way that it hits us like it's real, like it's fresh, like it matters. Um, because what we could do, what we could do is we could spend a year going through the Gospel of Mark, and we could be here on Sundays, we could hear these words. Most of us, let's be honest, have heard these words many times before. So we could hear that familiar story, we could uh, uh, agree, nod our heads, and say, yes, this makes sense, yes, I've heard that before, yep, that's a good story. And we could be a year from now like, great, that's awesome, what's next? What's the book of the Bible that we move on to next? Totally fine, nobody expects anything more of us than that. But I have this, I have this sense, like I have this, um, this kind of like desire deep down that this look for the next year through the book of Mark could be something really different than that for us. And what it could be for us, I think, is we're saying, okay, I've heard this story before. Like I know, I know who Jesus is. I've heard about him. Um, we may even know him. We may even be followers of him. But nonetheless, whatever it is, it's saying, still, as I come to this journey with the gospel of Mark, there's plenty of things that I'm trying in my life that do feel like dead ends. There's plenty of ways that I'm like going off and my ways don't look like the ways of Jesus. Um, the, the things that I'm trying, the ways I'm trying to cope or to self-medicate or to like find significance, like these things actually are proving to be all the time dead ends in my life. And so we as a church family could come back week by week to this story and hear these words and we could start in the spirit of John the Baptist who's saying, let's start with repentance. Let's start with confession. Let's start with the humility to say, there's a lot of things I'm trying and, and I'm going to let them, and, and man, we could walk week by week in these stories and hear them as these people are hearing them. Right, right now we're getting a big picture of like who Jesus is and what John was doing and how the way is being prepared. But, but a couple of weeks from now, we just walk through and we see Jesus in the way that like a tax collector sees Jesus. We get to see him in the way a religious leader sees him. We get to see him in the way that a paralyzed person sees Jesus. And we get to just see him walking onto the scenes and we could take it week by week and just wrestle with man, that's really who Jesus is. What does that mean for me? How does that speak to my heart and my life? What does it say to the dead ends that I keep coming up against? That is, I think, the invitation that we get. And I, um, man, I'm committed to trying um, to put myself in that space. Who knows how successful we'll be, but I want to put myself in that space of hit me fresh with these words, with these stories. Let us see the person of Jesus find life in him. So John comes. He's baptizing, and, and this is, I think, significant. He's baptizing in the wilderness, right? So, so think of, like, every significant place in, um, in the nation of Israel. There's, there's Jerusalem, like the city, the temple had been there. The temple was there rebuilt, so there's people that are devoted to the temple and the worship of God. Um, there's Rome all about and all these powerful cities. There's uh, King Herod's palace, and there's decisions being made places. There's synagogues where religious leaders are gathering, and they're looking at the word of God together. So all these important places. But when God is ready to work, he sends a weird guy named John, and he takes him, and he's going to say, hey, let's start uh, by humbling ourselves and confessing that we we're, we're don't have it together. And he takes him and he puts him in the wilderness. So this whole movement, what happens with Jesus is going to start in a place that's like 
nobody knows. It's off, like nobody can see what's happening in the wilderness. We know the wilderness is out there, but we don't know what's happening. But there's a guy named John, and all he's doing is just saying, hey, come on, let's get ready. God's going to do some work. Let's get ready, and let's leave the places uh, where the powerful decisions happen. Let's leave the place, like um, uh, Hamilton has that song, uh, I want to be in the room where it happens, you know? And um, so it's this picture of like, yeah, I want to be in on the important decisions. I want to be there where big, important, significant things are happening. But the call of John is saying, hey, leave those places behind. Let's get ourselves out to the wilderness. Let's go somewhere insignificant and let's find that there, that's where transformation begins. This, this movement with Jesus starts with no infrastructure whatsoever, no momentum whatsoever. It's just a guy dunking people in the water in the wilderness. And that's where the whole thing begins. I, I think it's powerful because I think God uses random times and random places for us too. So um, there, there probably are like uh, big significant things that happen in your life uh, that Maybe you could guess, like, yeah, you know what? I had a big encounter with God in church. That was expected, you know, more or less. Like, that's where I would go. But that so many of the things in our life, it, like, happens, you know, I've had encounters with God while I'm driving somewhere. You know, I have this, like, memory from college, this time where I was driving, and I pull off on the side of the road. It was like I wasn't expecting that. Um, many, many of us in this room, like, I've had... Uh, losses in life that are like, man, this is desolate. This is, this is devastating. This isn't where I would hope and expect God to work, but that's sometimes where God meets us the most. So I love this picture of God bringing the solution from outside of what we'd expect, um, from, from outside of what we'd hope for, and God begins working in these places that just, man, they have nothing to do with the power and the structure and the answers the people around us are giving. There's actually like a history with Israel of God working in the wilderness. The wilderness for Israel ultimately becomes a place of like hope and possibility and, and new beginnings. Um, so if you think back to, we've already mentioned the Exodus, God uh, met his people in the wilderness. That's where he gave them the Ten Commandments. They're in the wilderness around Mount Sinai. Gives them the Ten Commandments. You're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. I'm going to begin to work through you. The wilderness was this place of encounter. Moses uh, at the burning bush is off in the wilderness and he encounters God in that place. Um, uh, Isaiah and the prophets often are giving these visions, these pictures of like flowers blooming in the desert, right? There's, there's streams flowing suddenly in the wilderness. It's a place where, where maybe God does actually work there. Um, in fact, in, in um, 1946, there was a, a shepherd out in the like wilderness of Israel, and he's out there like with his sheep and, and out in these wild places, and he throws a rock up into, into a cave that he sees up above him and hears like the shattering sound and goes up there to find like what was that all about and goes in and finds... Um, a cave that's full of these jars that contain these um, scrolls, these ancient manuscripts. In fact, found in 11 different caves that were up there, they ended up, ended up finding almost 1,000 a, um, a um, unique manuscripts from like the 3rd century BC, like really, really old manuscripts. And so the thought is like, why? Like, who, who put these here? Where did they come from? It turns out it's from this community called Qumran. You might have heard of the Qumran scrolls. That's what this is. It's this group of Jews that were, you know, a few centuries before Jesus came on the scene. They're like, okay, we need to get ready for the Messiah coming, so we're going to go into the wilderness to, to be ready for him coming. And the reason they quoted, they actually cited this same verse that Mark quotes uh, from Isaiah about God preparing a place in the wilderness. They, they quote that when they say, this is why we're going out to the wilderness. We're, because Isaiah said, it becomes this place where we're waiting for God to work. I think it's beautiful because God doesn't wait for Israel to have their act together. You know, you think when God sends them into exile, it's like, you haven't been obeying me, and so um, I'm going to send you into exile, but I'll, I'll come again. God doesn't wait until, okay, Israel, you know what? You guys are doing great now. It's time for me to come back. No, God comes when they're disassembled, 
when they're arguing amongst themselves, when they're, um, when they're oppressed by the surrounding communities, and God comes into that, and it's through that little movement with no momentum and no infrastructure that ultimately Jesus changes the entire world. Like that's what world history shows us. He changes the entire world. And I think Mark writes what he writes because he wants him to change our hearts. This little thing off in the corner in the wilderness um, is, is like ready to receive the action of God. One more point on baptism here. John is preaching this baptism and he's inviting people, come, repent, confess your sins, and be saved. Who is he talking to here? What, what's really interesting is baptism, it seems like baptism started as a like cleansing ritual. So when a Gentile person who was not part of the laws and the, the rule and the people of Israel, a Gentile person wanted to join the Jewish nation, it's like, okay, you can do that, but you've got to take on our laws, you've got to take on our, and, and you, we're going to put you through this ritual um, cleansing uh, uh, procedure where you're, you're covered in water so that you can be cleansed and be part of the people of God. So that made sense as Israel invited others to come in, like, yeah, come on in, but you've got to be cleansed or baptized in a sense first. John is here in the wilderness, and who is he inviting to come and repent and to believe the good news and to go through this cleansing to enter into the people of God? He's saying this to Israel. He's saying this to the Jewish people. He's calling the people that were already the religious people, the people that were like, we're children of Abraham. We are God's people. We are in the in crowd. And he's saying, yeah, I, I get all of that about you, but I'm telling you, let's go. Let's start over with this whole thing. Let's come. I want you guys to be the ones to repent because we, it's our hearts that have to prepare it. I think it would have been so offensive for the Jews to be called to like re-enter the people of God. And yet that's exactly what John is out here doing. It's a reminder to us that like nobody's already in the kingdom of God, right? I mean, we're, we're good church-going people. We've got it together. We've got a great, healthy church family. Like, we've got the right things in place. But the reminder that we have to hear in that is no, none of us has it together enough. None of us, like, is born in the kingdom of God. None of us just inherently belong. It's saying, nope, there's this conscious choice I've got to make. There's this thing that, that has to do with my heart and not just my heritage where I'm saying, yeah, I want to be part of this thing. And, and, and I assume that's many, many of you is like, there's been that moment in your life where you're like, yes, I want to be a part of this thing. I want to enter into the kingdom of God. It requires humility to say, I don't have it together, but I want to be part of it. Um, but even if that's you, and even if you've been the one that say, yes, I, I, I have entered, I had that decision, I had that important moment for me, I just want to invite us again. Let's step into this like the nation of Israel did. And here's John, this crazy guy in the wilderness just baptizing people. And let's just say, you know what, like in humility, I, I've, I've decided to follow Jesus. He's been working in my life, but I, I'm ready again to just step in in humility and say like, yes, I want to be part, God, of what you're doing. Um, as God calls them in, um, they're here and, and they're, um, they're like, God is working in all this. And I, I just, who he sends, these last couple of verses we're going to look at this morning, verses six through eight, who he sends is John the Baptist and he's being equated here with Elijah the prophet. Here, let's, let's look at how he describes this here. John was clothed with camel's hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. So that's the description of John that we get. If you look, um, when, when Elijah is described in the Old Testament, like 2 Kings, he's in there. This is the exact de uh, description of Elijah. So Elijah the prophet, remember, like this big figure. And remember, we said, the Old Testament ends with God saying, I'm going to send my, my prophet Elijah to you. He's going to prepare the way. 
Well, here, Mark quotes that, and we see John coming on, and he's wearing the uniform of Elijah. You know, he's like dressed up as Elijah for Halloween is kind of like the idea. And so he's there, and he's crazy. He's in the wilderness, and he's eating like locusts and wild honey, as like a crazy person does in the wilderness. And he's out there, and he's wearing hairy clothes and a leather belt. He's, he's, he's playing the role of Elijah. This is who God is sending. It's, it's giving them this picture of like, I'm working. Remember, I said I would work. Here I am, 400 years later, I'm working. And, and the picture of John is one of like, of wildness, of, of like not responsible, like respectable type of a person. Like he's a prophet. The prophets were always weird individuals. But God sends him. And I think the beauty of this is if you wanted to be part of what God was doing in the world, um, it, it's not like, um, you know, okay, yeah, I've, I priest so-and-so who's at the temple, I follow his podcast, I really like what he has to say, like I'll be led into what God's doing through his teaching. No, if you wanted to be a part of what God was doing at this moment of history, you had to go out into the wilderness with the crazy people uh, in and be baptized by this crazy guy, right? You had to be willing to let go of your respectability. You can't repent for real and still maintain your dignity. There's a sense of like, okay, if this is what God is doing, I'm in. Even though, even though it makes me look dumb, even though it makes me look uneducated, even though it makes me, like, I am in with this thing. So this is the person that God sends. You, you can't care what other people think about you, but there's this promise. I'm going to send Elijah, and here we get this sense of, okay, it's happening. Um, Elijah is here. We're going to see more about um, the connection between John the Baptist and Elijah as we go on. I won't unpack it all now. We've got to have some, some unfolding to the story. Um, but as he walks out, and what is Elijah's message? He says uh, in verses 7 and 8 here, he preached saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So we're going to end there uh, because he's pointing ahead to now the one that the whole rest of the book of Mark is about. But the way is being prepared, and he's pointing ahead, and he's saying, look, like, yeah, I'm, I'm here, and God's using me to begin this thing. But what this is really about is this one that's coming after me. And I'm telling you, the one that comes after me, like, I'm, I'm not even worthy to sit down and untie his sandals. This is totally servant work to, like, change the shoes of, of the teacher or whatever. He's like, I'm not even worthy to be that. So, so we get this sense, this picture of, man, somebody great is coming, right? Somebody really powerful is coming onto the scene, and John's like, yeah, I can't even touch his feet. Like, he is that powerful. And so we're sitting there as we're reading the story. We're like, who is this incredibly worthy one going to be? Who is this great king, this powerful leader? Like, who is he going to be? And what is so beautiful as we see, spoiler alert, as it unfolds, we find that this one that John's like, I can't, I'm not even worthy to touch his feet. This one is the one that comes, and he describes himself as the servant. He's the one that came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Like, he is here to serve us. Yeah, we may not be worthy to touch his feet. That's certainly true. Um, but we find by the end of the story, he's the one that's on his knees washing our feet. It, there's this beautiful picture of who Jesus is that defies everything everyone expected. What John says is true. Like, he's not worthy to touch uh, he, even his sandal, the strap of his sandal, but... He's also the one that came, and, and he's here, and he's, he's here in love. He doesn't belong in this story, but he enters it out of his own love for the people that he made, out of his love for you and I. Like, like we are there to confess and say, I'm, I'm unworthy to be pursued. I'm unworthy to be God's child. And yet he's saying, yes, that's true, but nonetheless, I love you, and I forgive you, and I'm pursuing you. That is the beautiful picture that we're going to get about Jesus as the whole thing continues to unfold. We're going to see more and more about who he is. So how, how do we close this? I want to I just give you two quick invitations to close this out, and we're going to sing some more. 
two things. One is um, we're going to see Jesus, and Jesus is the source of life. He says, I came that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly. So the invitation for us is there from Jesus, find life in me. That's our mission as a church. We want to find life in Jesus together, and we want to invite other people to do the same. So the whole point is we're going to spend a year with Jesus. Let's, let's like rest in that. Let's settle in to hear the story, and let's find all the life that there is to be found in Jesus. I'm promising you that it's there. It'll transform us. It'll change us. It'll speak to us. It's the most beautiful thing. And so the invitation is let's, let's lean in. Let's find that life in Jesus. The other thing is um, we're, we're sitting here watching John the Baptist talk about baptism. And it's just all about, like, prepare. Okay, the Lord's doing a work. I'm going to prepare myself. I'm going to confess my sins, and I'm going to be ready to follow Jesus. Um, this Saturday, we're going to get to baptize a bunch of people in the church. I am so excited about that. We're going to go down Lake, Lake Natoma, and I love it. You know, we, we uh, are not traveling to the Jordan River to do it, but, the, but Lake Natoma, if you, if you squint a little bit, looks a lot like the Jordan River, okay? <clears throat> and it's this beautiful picture. So there's several people in our church family, uh, some adults, some, some kids that are going to be um, part of this whole baptism thing where we're saying, like, we get to be there as a church family around these people that are saying, the Lord's working in my life. He's nudging me. I'm ready to just tell everybody, my whole church family and everybody else, that, um, that I'm letting go of myself. I'm acknowledging that I'm a sinner, but I see that what Jesus has done for me, and I'm ready to follow him with my life. It's, it's not a statement of perfection. It's not like we don't get baptized, and all of a sudden everything in life is fixed. That would be really sweet, but that's not how we set it up. It's saying, this is my trajectory. This is my direction. This is where I'm headed. And so I want to invite all of you guys, um, join us on Saturday at, um, at Lake Natoma. It's going to be a beautiful time to just celebrate what God is doing in our brothers' and sisters' lives. Um, but also, um, I think some of you probably are in that spot of saying, hey, I'm, it's time. It's time. Like, I've been, I've been around Jesus. I know who he is. But this is the time that God is speaking to me. And, um, and I'm just saying, if that's you, if you feel like it's becoming real for you in whatever sense, um, let's get you baptized. It doesn't matter if you're young, if you're old, right? Jesus asked these people, uh, be baptized. Don't care about the respectability. Go let the crazy person baptize you, okay? Like, I'm crazy. I would love to do that, you know? And so um, just, it doesn't matter. If you've been around the church for a long time, you've never been baptized, you're like, you know what? I think I, think I should do it. Who cares what anybody thinks? Let's do it. You have a family that's going to celebrate you. Um, if you're brand new to the whole thing and you're like, I don't know all of what entails, but I think it's time, then yes, let's do it. Let's, let's, let's make this declaration a real one. So if that's you, please uh, find me, talk to me. Um, if, you, if you don't get a chance to catch me after the service, um, talk to Nathan, talk to any of the staff, talk to any of the elders. Um, my information is really easy to get on the website, so like email us. We, we want to, oh, and if you scan the QR code in front of you, there's like a link where you can say like, I want to get baptized. We'll get to you this week, and we would love to include you in that. So um, two things, find life in Jesus. Let's, let's either celebrate everyone getting baptized, or if you want to join, let's do it. Um, we're going to sing some more. Let me pray for us as we close this time. Lord, thank you so much that you, um, you give us this story. Lord, thank you that improbable as it sounds, Lord, this is a true story. This is you actually walking into our world, the world in which we now live and, and struggle. And Lord, thank you that you entered into this. Thank you that for this picture of this new thing that you're doing, this thing that you've promised all along, this way that you're working, Lord, would you um, speak into our hearts at the beginning of this whole thing? And Lord, may we be willing and ready to lay down things that hold us back, the things that we use to replace you. Um, Lord, we, would we hold those things loosely? Would we cling to you? Lord, we, would we hear the invitation in these words to, to be ready, to, to make your path straight? Lord, may we walk in your ways. And I pray that we would find that life in you. Lord, what a gift to be your children to be loved and pursued by you. 
I pray that you'd speak and work in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.